Your Bible, turn to Hebrews 12. So good to be back with you here at uh, Midway. I always enjoy coming, and you people are so nice to me. And uh, it's just a blessing when David calls and said, Can you come? And can you be with us? David, when he called me a few months ago, he said, I want you to talk about our, I think he said our theme was stand up for Jesus. And I want you to talk about commitment. And so I began to ponder that subject and the Wednesday night folks and how I'd approach that. So um, I said, we're going to spend a little time in Hebrews 12 and we'll go from there. This past uh, weekend, well, past Thursday through Saturday, I was in Montgomery at the last Leaders Board meeting, and we have some guys that keep up with all kind of stats and uh, keep us informed. We do a lot of surveys ourselves, trying to figure out what's going on in the Brotherhood and, and the tendencies and the trends in the Brotherhood. And uh, we find that all churches, all churches, uh, all churches and then all churches of Christ are going through um, basically the same thing. It's being hard to get over uh, COVID and uh, we're just not back to our pre-COVID numbers in all of our churches. And one thing we found in last leaders is uh, that's what happens in our local churches, happens in, in, in last leaders. And one of the stats that um, came up just to just to just a little while ago, was that the average Church of Christ now, now that is all the churches average together, is about 50 members, 50 members. And I have had the opportunity, especially the last two months, to go to a lot of places and, and to speak, and um, I, I see that, I see that true. So you're blessed, you're blessed, you're above the average in the Church of Christ, I'll tell you that. But I've had uh, the privilege to go and speak at a lot of places, and I see that. And I see no little children and no teens. Sometimes it breaks our heart. And what we have found is that people have left the church. We find that people left the church sometimes for these community churches because of uh, the entertainment value. And... We find that people's attitudes today, the certain generations, their attitude is, I want my needs met. I want my needs met. And it's not the servant attitude of, what can I do for the church? But it's always when people come in, what can you do for me? Well, that's one of the reasons why. There are many, many, many others as well of why what's happened uh, to our, our churches is the mindset. Maybe we haven't taught Bible like we ought to. Maybe we haven't instilled it. Maybe we've been lenient in so many ways in our moral living and in our commitment to the local church. And of course, COVID has had its, uh, uh, its, its played its role in, in bringing down and having people to quit the war and not stand up for Jesus and not to come back to church. Some are just happy. They can sit in their pajamas and their recliners and watch on live stream and they feel that's just as good as anything else. And, and for some people that is. In fact, it's one of the best things in the world when you're sick and you're invalid, when the churches are shut down and that kind of thing. 
but it doesn't beat fellowshipping with God's people and brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't have a lot of folks today that are standing up for Jesus and who come with a commitment to the church and come with a love for the local church and a love for Jesus Christ. That's just the way it is today. So I said to myself, I'm talking to the Wednesday night crowd. I mean, I could give a lesson and let all these other folks have it because they're not standing up for Jesus and because they're not here and they've gone by the wayside or whatever. Boy, what good would it do? Because they're not here. So I said, uh, what can I do for the Wednesday night folks who love the church at Midway? Wednesday night folks who love the Lord and love each other. How can I strengthen them and how can I encourage them not to give up? And just hang in there and to not quit. I said, we'll just start in Hebrews 12. And I think this will be a, a way to encourage us and help us to understand that the word quit is not in God's vocabulary. And it shouldn't be in ours. Now, I understand in the King James Version, you'll have the word quit uh, in that translation, but it doesn't mean to stop. So it's not in God's vocabulary for us to give up, for us to turn our back on the Lord and walk away. What our purpose and our function is, is to stand up for Jesus. So how can we be encouraged in that? Now let me say something before I get into Hebrews 12. And some of you may forget this. Even though I want to try to encourage us, the Wednesday night crowd, and to build us up, uh, at the same time, uh, what I'm going to say tonight may really strike an arrow in your heart, okay? It's not intended necessarily to do that. The purpose is to edify us and build us up. At the same time, it could be that I'm really hitting home with reality in your spiritual life. You know, some of you may even think that I've just singled you out, that somehow, some way, you know, David's told me about you. Or maybe I've been standing behind a little tree or something and I've been watching you and your attitude and what you say and how you live your life. And you're saying, he knows about me. And you think I have just singled you out. Well, I learned a long time ago, you don't use the pulpit to single a person out. That's not the purpose of the pulpit. And so I am certainly not doing that tonight. It's just that this problem we're going to deal with tonight of standing up for Jesus and commitment is such a general problem. And it seems like we're seeing more and more people drift away from the Lord and drift away from the church. So that's why you may feel that way. You may forget I said this. Now, if you get mad, you get all upset, what you just need to do is just repent and ask God to forgive you and just change your heart and change your attitude, okay? All right, let's get into Hebrews 12. And as you, as you look in the first few verses of Hebrews 12, if you have the King James Version, you'll use the word, you'll see the word faint. Now, I don't think it's in any other translation. And uh, what do you do when you faint? Well, you, you fall out, right? You just, you, you fall out, you quit. And that's the issue that the writer in Hebrews 12 is dealing with in our lives, about us coming stagnant spiritually about us getting to the point where we just want to give up 
And we want to say, I've had enough uh, of this in my life. You know, we get that way. And we get that way because we get discouraged, folks. Uh, we get discouraged and get all mad and upset of all, over all kinds of things. Uh, it may be we do something and they don't announce it in the church bulletin. And we get so mad because they didn't announce it in the church bulletin. It may be that we've had that Bible class or we've had this particular ministry for so many years and it seems like nobody cares about what you do. And it seems like most of the time you're doing it by yourself and you get discouraged and you get down and you get out. Well, that happens. And sometimes you just want to throw up your hands and say, that's it, I quit. Well, that's sort of where these Christians had gotten to here in Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to show you what the writer of Hebrews does, how he motivates them and encourages them not to quit and not to get so discouraged that you give up. So we begin with verse 1. Therefore, now you know, you've been here and you've sit at the feet of David and others, and you know therefore is therefore a reason. And that's because of what's been said. What's been said in Hebrews 11. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let's stop there. He said, therefore, what's happened in Hebrews chapter 11? There is a long list and description of great men and women in the faith who gave their life for the Lord. Great men and women who not only gave their life for the Lord, but they shed their blood for the Lord. I mean, they were willing. They got discouraged. We'll look at it one or two in a moment. They got discouraged. They got down and they got out, but they hung in there. They didn't give up. And he says here, we're surrounded or we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witness. He's talking about Abraham and all those great people that are mentioned. And you read in Hebrews 11, take the time you get home tonight and read the description of what those people went through. Uh, it's toward the end of the chapter there. And it, it, it is amazing. These were men and women who relied on the word of God. These were men and women who served God in difficult circumstances. There were men and women who trusted in God, even though their life was on the line. Maybe a way to picture it is this. He said, you're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. When I think about that, I think about uh, here we are in the arena of living for the Lord. We're in the battle. We have our Christian armor on. We're in the Colosseum. Had the opportunity a few years to go to to be in Rome and to go to that Colosseum there in Rome. And, and just picture in your mind, here is Abraham and here is uh, Joseph and here is Paul and, and here is uh, Noah and here is David and here's... They're all in the stand. And we're in the arena in the fight. And the picture he's giving us is this, that they're cheering us on. They're saying, you can do it. You can stay faithful to the Lord. And whatever discourages you in life, let me tell you, you can overcome it. It's like they're saying to us, as by the cheering us on, look, if I can hold on, then you can hold on. If I can stay faithful to God under these circumstances in which I live, then you can stay faithful to God. 
If I can endure what I endured, then you can endure what you have to do to stay in the arena, to stand up for Jesus, and to have the commitment. So first of all, he says, look, folks, look, I know you get discouraged. I know it gets tough sometimes. But he says, don't you ever forget the great men and women in Hebrews 11 who were willing to lay it all in line. And they stayed faithful. They're an example to us. You think back when you get down about those great men and women. Well, he doesn't stop there. Let's continue reading. He said, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. He says, now, you've got to get rid of this weight. Whether it's a mental attitude where you're down, you're angry at somebody, you got your feelings hurt, and you got all upset, you know, nobody came to see you. When you're in the hospital or when you were sick or you've been out of church for a few weeks and nobody called and nobody came. He says, you've got to lay away these weights. Whatever it might be, you lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You know, sometimes it's not just a mental thing where we get down and we get discouraged, but sometimes it's sin in our life. Sometimes it's a little pet sin that comes in. Maybe sometimes it's a little secret sin that just comes in and, we, and it pushes God off the throne of our life. And the reason we're discouraged and the reason it's easy for us to walk off is because of some sin in our life that we haven't dealt with. And so he says, look, you look at the great men and women when you get down and out. You look at yourself, you take a, 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 a look at yourself mentally, look at yourself as spiritually and where your sins are. Then notice what he says. He says, let us run with patience or endurance the race <clears throat> that is set before us. You know, if there's one thing we need today, it's patience. We need patience when it's easy to do the Word of God and when it's not so easy. We need patience today when it's convenient to do the Word of God, and we need patience when it's not so convenient to do the Word of God. And we need patience when it's popular to do the will of God, and we need patience when it's not so popular to do the will of God. You've got to have patience, endurance. I see the Christian life not as a hundred-yard dash, but as a, a marathon. And as I look at the Christian life, I see it as a marathon that we have to run with hurdles about every 10 yards. And you have to have patience. You have to pace yourself. But you have to have the patience if you want to cross the finish line. A lot of people never cross the finish line, folks. It's because they don't have the patience that they need. Now, think about it. He says, you're down. You're discouraged. Let me tell you, you look to the great men and women of the Old Testament and you see their great faith and how they endured. And if they endured, you can endure. But then he steps it up. He steps up to him. He says, that's a good one. But let me tell you something even better than that in your life. Now look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our 
faith. Let's just stop there. Looking unto Jesus. Notice what he didn't say to these discouraged brethren, these brethren that wanted to throw it up and quit. He didn't say, look at the brethren. Because one thing I've learned in life, the brethren will disappoint you. They will. Notice he doesn't say here, look at the church. Notice he doesn't say here, when you get down and you get out, you look at the world. He says, no, you look to Jesus. Now, why is it so significant that in our despondency, sometimes in our spiritual walk, why is it so significant that we look to Jesus? Well, he tells us, look at it. He is the author and he's the finisher of our faith. Wow. You ever thought about that? The reason we want to think about Jesus. Yes, it's great and wonderful. Look at those great cloud of witnesses. But more than anything else, you look at Jesus. And you look at what Jesus did for you when you get ready to quit. And you get discouraged and you get down. You see, Jesus was a finisher. Today, we can have the hope of salvation. And that is because Jesus was a finisher. Can you imagine what would have happened to Jesus in his ministry if he had been like a lot of us? I mean, think about it. If he'd been like a lot of us, he'd have quit a long time ago. He'd gone back to heaven. I, I, I think about him there, for example, in Luke chapter 4. You know, he's preaching and they get all upset, tore up, and they take him out to the brow of the hill. They're going to throw him over. They're going to kill him. And remember there in Luke chapter 4, he's able to sneak away. You know what would have happened if Jesus had been like a lot of us with our commitment, our lack of commitment? I, I could see him now. He said, Father, this is such a bad place. I didn't know it was going to be this bad. Father, I, I can't sleep at night. And, and I'm just so hungry. Look, and I miss heaven so very, very much. Just, just, I want to come back home. You see, if he'd been like a lot of us, there in Luke 4, he'd have given up. Or, I think about the situation there in Matthew 4 when he's tempted. You know that story. He's been fasting for 40 days. Been tempted of the devil. Can you imagine if Jesus had been like a lot of us, he said, well, well, wait a minute here, Father. I don't deserve this. To be tempted like he was by the devil. And that was the truth. He did not deserve that. I don't deserve to be treated like this. If he'd been like a lot of us, he'd have given up. But he didn't. Think about this. Think about when he stood before Herod. And remember how Herod abused him and mocked him and had him beaten and he spit on him and all that, put the purple robe on him and all that. You know, if Jesus had been like a lot of us, folks, he said, uh-uh, this is it. I mean, look at how they're mistreating me and how they're abusing me. Father, I'm coming home. But he didn't. Why? Because he was the author and the finisher of our faith. Look at him in Gethsemane. I mean, that, that's where the battle really was fought for the cross, right? And we know what went on in Gethsemane. And we know what the shape that his tears were in. And we know the agony that he had. 
You know, if Jesus had been like a lot of us and the spirituality we have, we just said, he'd have said, no way. No, sir. I've had it. Father, you send some angels down here and you rescue me now because I quit. Man is not worth it. And he could have said that and told the truth. But he didn't. Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus didn't give up on us. And we shouldn't give up on him. And that's the point that the Hebrew writer's making. You get down, you get discouraged, whether it's a sin or some mental attitude, discouragement, whatever it is. You remember the great men and women of Hebrews 11. But more importantly, you remember Jesus and remember that Jesus didn't give up on you. Neither should you give up on him. And then notice there in verse uh, 2, an interesting statement. He says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You say, joy in the cross? Well, there was probably the joy of getting back to be with God. There was the joy of, of uh, saving man from his and her sins. There was probably the joy of just getting back home to be with heaven. But then, I want you to notice verse 3. He comes, he's hitting this subject now. Watch it, verse 3. For consider him who endured, that is Jesus, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Here it is. Lest you become weary, the King James says faint, the New King James says discouraged, in your souls or in your mind, the King James says. And I like that translation. He says, you remember Jesus unless you become weary and faint in your minds. You see, this is where it all begins, right here. Whether it's with some sin or whether it's some kind of mental attitude that we have of discouragement or whatever, it all begins up here. We get our feelings hurt or, or the sin in our life and we say, that's it, I've had it, I think, I think I'm going to quit. And then, to really bring it home, Jesus gives us, or the writer here gives us the reason why none of us ever have a reason in our life spiritually to say, I quit. Look at it. Verse 4. You have not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. Anybody here ever shed a drop of blood because of your faith in Christ? Any of you here ever been persecuted? I mean, shed just one drop of blood because of your stance on this word? I haven't. That's the point he's making. He said, Look, you look at these great men and women in Hebrews 11, you look at Jesus. They shed blood. They died. And here we are. We haven't shed one drop of blood, not one. We get our feelings hurt and get all upset about something. We say, I've had it. I've had it. I quit. I quit. Every now and then I, I, I talk to somebody and They've quit coming to church. They've quit serving. They've quit giving. They quit reading their Bible. They just, just quit. And you say, 
Brother or sister, why have you quit the Lord? Why have you quit the church? Oh, oh, oh Brother Hines, Brother Hines, listen. I haven't quit. But I'm wondering in my mind, what more do you have to do? I remember very well. It wasn't at Hartzell. But I remember very, very well. I was in the back, back there. and It was a Sunday morning. And this lady came in with all this material in her hands. And beside me was the deacon of education. And she just walked right up to me and she says, I'm just tired of teaching this Bible class. And here, just, you get somebody else to teach it today. He just dumped it all on him. In just a few minutes, some little children were going to come together and to learn a little bit about the Lord. I didn't bother her. Somehow she got discouraged and she just felt like she didn't want to do it anymore. So all she could think about was herself. And I thought those children... What would mean to that class? And if they could even get somebody to teach that class. You see, in spite of the great men and women of Hebrews 11, in spite of Jesus, we still have this problem. We still have it. Maybe it'd be good first to look at one or two illustrations of those who did quit the Lord. Just look at it a little closer. You know this one, 2 Timothy 4.10. To me, it's some of the saddest words in all the Bible as Paul was talking to this young preacher. I imagine it was tough on him to talk to Timothy about this. He said this. He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. What Demas done? Quit. And he tells us why. There was something that got on the throne of his heart beside the Lord. Something became more important. So he said, I had it. I quit. Now, you know, I look at this text and I'm thinking, here's a guy who had the privilege of traveling with the Apostle Paul. Here was a guy who had the privilege of laboring in that wonderful time of the spreading of the gospel. If you'll do a study when you get home, you'll find that Demas is mentioned about three other times in the New Testament. And he's mentioned in a list of some great folks. He's mentioned in the same list with Luke, Dr. Luke. So it's not that he was a novice, that he was an infant, a babe in Christ. I mean, this guy had been strong in the faith. This guy had been right in the heat of the battle. You, you know, we look at him. We, we get in a class like this or... And we get in the pulpit and we, we look at Demas and we say, man, how terrible. How in the world could a guy like this, having experienced what he experienced, turned his back on the Lord? Well, are we any worse? Or is he any worse than we are when we turn our back on the Lord? Look in John 6. You know that passage, John 6. Crowds are following Jesus everywhere. I mean, of course, we know and we understand from the Gospels that they were after him because they were following because mostly the miracles that he was doing. The Bible says that Jesus, from that time, verse 66 of John 6, from that time, many disciples went back and walked with him no more. 
what did they do? They quit him. Now, aren't you, once again, aren't you thankful that Jesus wasn't like a lot of us? Aren't you thankful that when Jesus turns around and, and, and in fact, he looks at the apostles there, you're not going to, but these people threw theirs at him. It's like he's almost there by himself. Aren't you glad he didn't murmur? Aren't you glad that you look at this text and uh, he didn't complain because it was just a, a small group there? Aren't you glad if he'd been like a lot of us, that's what would have happened? If nobody else is going to help, why should I? Why should I carry this kind of burden by myself? But he didn't. Now, once again, we get in the class where the preacher gets up and, he's, and we say, how terrible these people. They saw the miracles of Jesus. They heard Jesus teaching. How could anybody walk back and, and turn back and walk no more with Jesus? How? After experiencing and hearing what they heard and experienced. Well, are they any worse than we are? Will we turn our backs on it? Well, enough of the negative. Let's look at two or three of the positives. Let's look at some examples of people who were willing to die. Go back with me to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 20. Look at the great prophet. Oh, you miss, you miss a lot if you don't study the prophets, those great men of God. Sometimes they were a little crazy maybe. Sometimes they were a little weird. But boy, I tell you what, they had tremendous faith and stick to -iftiness. You know what they did to Jeremiah? Jeremiah would go out and he'd preach every day, and we know him as the weeping prophet. And the reason we know him as the weeping prophet is because he wept for the people because they wouldn't respond to come back to God. They hated Jeremiah with a passion. They put Jeremiah in stocks. They put him in shackles. They beat him. And they put him in prison. And he came to a point in his life like probably some of us would. Most of us would. He said, that's it. I can't keep doing this. He decided, I'm going to quit. Look at these words, Jeremiah 20, verse 7. He's talking to God. He says, oh, Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. You're stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. What would he want to do? He's struggling with God. He says, I'm going to quit. I give up. You can understand why. But notice, he says, but, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. And I could not. He said, you know, I wanted to, but the word of God was such a fire within me, I couldn't quit. And that's the reason why the word of God is so important in your life and my life. And that's why we should have a burning for the word of God in our life. In those times of discouragement, we'll have it lit to remind us of what's more important and what we should and shouldn't do. 
I think of Ezekiel, the great prophet Ezekiel. Turn to Ezekiel 24. Ezekiel was like Jeremiah. Ezekiel would get his scroll every morning. He'd go out, he'd pack his lunch, and he'd preach all day long. He'd come home and not one response. He did that day in, day out, day in, day out. They did the same thing to him as they did to Jeremiah. They stoned him. They put him in prison, and they mocked him. One day he gets his scroll, and he goes out to preach. He preaches all day, and he's coming home. And maybe in the distance, this is how it goes down. Maybe in the distance, he doesn't see the light on in the house. Maybe he doesn't smell the bread cooking, as he usually does. And someone greets him and says, Ezekiel, while you were preaching today, you wiped out. Now you think if there was ever a reason to stop for a while, that might be a reason. But you know what this great prophet of God did? He got up the next morning and he got his scroll and he kept preaching the word. Look at it. Ezekiel 24, 18. So I spoke to the people in the morning and at evening my wife died. The next morning I did as I was commanded. Wow. Go over to the New Testament. There's so many examples. You've got Stephen there in Acts 7. You've got Peter and John in Acts 4. They're told, look, don't you preach anymore. What did they do? <laughs> no, sir, I'm not quitting. With their life on the line, I'm not quitting. Stephen's life was on the line. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised. He didn't quit. didn't give up. Look at John the baptizer. Here he was living with a woman that wasn't his, shouldn't be his. And John says, you can't have her. She got all upset. She had her daughter to dance before Herod. He got all excited and he said, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Mama says, you asked for John the Baptist's head on the platter. Now, you remember what happened with that? When John found out that Mama had asked for his head, remember, he sent word to Herod. And he said, Herod, I, I was so wrong, man. I, I was out of place. If you want to live with that woman, you go ahead and you live with that woman. You remember that? Yeah, preacher, I didn't snot how it went down. Uh -uh. It wasn't. But he didn't quit. He didn't stop. He didn't give up. To me, probably the greatest example of all would be the great Apostle Paul. Picture Paul. <clears throat> He's in a dungeon. He's in the Mamertine prison. Had the opportunity when I was in Rome to go into the Mamertine prison. Great experience. Back in that day and time, it was just a, a sort of a rock-like with a hole in it, and they let the prisoners down into it, and they let the food down into it. But it's a dungeon. Here he is, his life's on the line. He's down in this dungeon. Maybe he's chained to a, a soldier or a wall. Maybe he hears a constant drip, 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 drip. There are rats running all around the place. There's a stench you just can't get used to. And maybe, just maybe, outside that hole in the ceiling, he hears a swish, swish, swish. But he asks, what's that sound? 
And maybe they say, odds you, they're sharpening the sword because tomorrow your head comes off. You remember what he did? He asked for his parchment. And he begins to write and he says, Timothy. He says, I have made a mistake. Listen, man, you quit preaching. Because if you don't keep, if you keep preaching, you're going to end up just like me. Go back and get you an honest job. You know, do something. But stop it, Timothy. Stop it. Said, That's not what he did, was it? There in his direst need, and there in his greatest hour, that great man of God in that dungeon wrote to that young preacher, and he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, those who judge the dead to quicken their opinion kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers having itching ears. He says, I fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid it for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing and his kingdom. In his direst need, his greatest hour, he didn't give up. He didn't stop. I think of 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, you know it. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? You're not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I mean, I look at this and I say, whose body is this? As a child of God, whose body is this? Is it my body? No. I look at it and I say, it's the spirit of mine. Whose spirit is this? Is this my spirit as a child of God? No. Who's it belong to? It's God's spirit. It's God's body. I ask myself, do I own me as a child of God? No. Who owns me? According to this passage, God owns me. And you see, what that means is that I don't have a right to call quits to my service. When God gets ready to call quit to it, He will. But until then, I keep on serving, I keep on loving, I keep on doing what I can in the service of my Lord. Till the day I tell, take my last breath. Wow. Well, Ken said, I think I have about four minutes up there. A lot more we need to say, but here's how I'll end. There were these young preachers, and they all gathered around, and there was one old preacher. And they were moaning and groaning and complaining about, you know, how tough it was to deal with the brethren and how tough it was to pay for their cars and their houses and their suits, and they were just complaining and complaining, and it it just make you cry to listen to those preachers. And finally, the old preacher, he'd had enough. He just stepped out right in the middle of them. And he said, Gentlemen, he looked at my eyeball, eyeball, these young preachers. 
He says, I want you to know something. I want you to know that it is a privilege for me to serve my Lord. But he turned and he walked away. You know, that's the way it is, isn't it? We talked about, you know, the mental attitude. He says, you know, you got to get rid of the wrong mental attitude. Check it out. You see, when you grow a relationship with the Lord, it's not that you have to do something. It's that you get to do something. You got it? That's all the difference in the world. You see, when your relationship is right with the Lord, it's a privilege. And you see whatever you do, no matter how big or how little, as a privilege. If you're an elder here, it's a privilege for you to be an elder. Don't you ever forget that. If you're a minister here, it's a privilege for you to do that. Don't ever forget it. If you're a deacon in this church, listen, it's a privilege for you to do that. Don't ever forget it. If you teach a class in this church, it's a privilege for you to do that. If you cut the grass out here, that's a wonderful privilege. If you fix the stuff for the Lord's Supper on Sunday, I don't know maybe these churches are doing that much now, but if you do that, that's a privilege. If you lead singing, that's a privilege. You clean the building, that's a privilege. And once we can understand in our life that Jesus Christ died for us. And we look and we see he is a finisher. And we understand what he did for us. Do you know what happens? We look at what we do. And we look at the sacrifices we make. And we say, you know, this is nothing. What I do compared to what Jesus did for me. That's how you see it. It's a privilege. That's the reason why the great men and women of the Bible can lay their life down the line. It should be ours. Instead of us walking around and saying, I'm going to give it up because no one else is going to help me. Instead of us walking around saying, I quit, I've had it because I've had this too long. I'll be saying, thank God I've been able to bear it this long. Instead of us walking around saying, you know what, I've done this by myself and nobody cares and I've had it. I quit. We ought to be saying, thank God I can bear such a burden and do this by myself. Why? It's a privilege. Folks, some of us need to grow up spiritually. We need to grow up. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the, what you've given us in our life, and we thank you for the privilege of serving you. We thank you so much, Father, for what Jesus did for us and the wonderful examples we have in the Bible. Help us to be finishers. Help us, dear Father, to understand the wonderful privilege we have in serving you. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.